0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. You know, so seven to eight hundred years. Before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah recorded some prophecies about the one who would would come into the world, uh, who would come into our anguish uh, and make a way for us to have peace with God. Uh, It's it's what we really, really want. And Isaiah 9 is one of those prophecies that tell us about the coming one. And so with that, let's, let's hear God's word from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. We'll do this. Amen. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, would you come, uh, even right now, and show us the light? Um, Lord, I I, I ask that for for every single person here, uh, you would cause us to hear and call our souls to respond this morning. So come. Amen. So of, of all the verses we read around Christmas, uh, this one pretty well sums up what Christmas is about, right? It is, well, it, 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 Christmas marks the reality that those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. On you a light has shone. And I, I don't know how else to say it, but apart from Christmas, apart from Jesus entering into this world, no matter how enlightened we, we think we are, Like, cosmically, we're stumbling through the dark, right? You know, the deepest place on earth is the deepest part of the ocean. Uh, It's this zone in the ocean called the abyssopelagic zone, and and it's where we get the word abyss. Um, It it means it's a place where sunlight cannot even reach its depths. It is a a world of perpetual darkness, so dark uh, that the fish down there have forgotten how to see. A lot of the fish there don't even have eyes, they just they just kind of just swim around bumping into things and you know and it's it's hard to watch really any nature show that talks about these fish that can't see without seeing that apart from the light apart from christmas that's who we are just see the story one of the big stories that's been going on the last few weeks in the news is of victor manuel roca uh... victor manuel roca served our nation for forty years uh, from 1981 to 2002, he served in the State Department, um, climbing to the rank of U.S. ambassador to Bolivia. So, I mean, he's, he's on up there. Um, he served on our National Security Council, uh, and he was even an advisor to our military southern command uh, at the Pentagon. Forty years. Um, all the while, we found out that the entire 40 years, he was a Cuban spy. Entire time, Right. And that's our government who gets paid to, like, suss these things out. Um, you know, it, in the darkness, we, we sometimes we don't know what we don't see, right? Because of the fall uh, in our world today, you know, you can look at it and very easily see that we no longer know who we are. Uh, we no longer know what we are. Uh, we no longer know why we are. Uh, Recently, even this past week, the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and UPenn were questioned at a congressional hearing on Uh, anti-Semitism. Coincidentally, this very uh, hearing led to the resignation of of Penn's president, just like in the last day or two. And so these presidents, obviously representing the absolute pinnacle of higher education in America, uh, were asked a fairly straightforward question Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your university's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying or harassment? And and now, you would think, obviously, calling for the death of any student group on campus uh, would, would clearly qualify as bullying and harassment. I mean, very clearly qualify. However, in the darkness, and even in the darkness of political correctness, not a single president could give a straight answer. And I don't mean to belabor this point, but we feel the darkness, uh, do we not? Um, even in the church, you know, we've, we've noted this before. Uh, one of the darkest days in the history of the church in the South was this Sunday morning in 1963. Uh, members of 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, you know, they were waking up, laying out their clothes, getting ready to go to church. But they weren't the only ones up that morning. Uh, because earlier that morning, some men uh, put a box in their car filled with sticks of dynamite. They drove to the church. They put that box under a stairwell, and then they drove away. And at 1022, right, we well know what happened. Uh, the pastor's sermon that day was entitled, The Rock That Cannot Be Rolled. Uh, of course, he never got to preach that sermon. Because at 1022, while some girls were making their way down the stairs to put on choir robes, the bomb exploded. And their stairwell collapsed, injuring 22 of the girls and killing four. uh, Addie Mae Collins, uh, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Carol Denise McNair were literally blown to kingdom come. And, like, that wasn't in Gaza. Uh, That that was in Birmingham not that long ago. And, look, I'm, I'm not telling us anything that we don't know, right? We ever since... It's been in the headlines ever since Genesis 3, like we know our world is dark. War, death, famine, illness, depression, anxiety, suicide. I mean, the darkness of our world is suffocating. And yet even still, the, the, the grim reality is that the darkness out, out there does not hold a candle to the darkness that is in here. The darkness in our own hearts, apart from Christ, and oh, how we need the light. And so Isaiah says the wonder of wonders is that Christmas marks the coming of not just jolly old St. Nick, but of what you need more than anything else. It's the coming of the great light into your abyss. Uh, do you ever wonder why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Um, so we, well, that's the day Jesus was born, duh. Like, do do we actually know the day that Jesus was born? No, I mean, that's nowhere in the Bible. We don't have that in history. We know the general kind of time frame in which Jesus was born. But you know why we celebrate, we choose to celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Any guesses? I'll tell you why. Um, December 25th, typically, well, this week it's going to be December 21st, but Uh, December 25th is typically the darkest day of the year. It's the longest night of the year. And so this is just one of those punk rock spirit ways of saying, no, the coming of Jesus changes things. And and to celebrate the coming of the light, we're going to celebrate it on the darkest night of the year, um, December 25th. So what's so great about this light? What's so great about Jesus? Well, let's, let's talk about that. First thing we need to see here in this passage is just how shocking, again, the arrival of the light was. You know, God does not work like we think. You know, if if a God king was to come, you would think he would come surely in some big city. You know, he'd come to Paris or Rome or New York and rub elbows with the movers and shakers of the day. Like, he'd he'd for sure never come to Greenwood. I mean, Chick-fil-A won't even come to Greenwood. Um, We know Jesus ain't coming here. Because we think, right, in our town, in our, like, we think that big things happen in big cities, not in the Delta. And yet in verse 1, that's exactly what happened. Jesus came to and began his ministry in the most, very most unlikely of places, Zebulun and Naphtali. So you remember when Israel finally got in the promised land, you know, uh, Joshua leads the conquest, and Joshua parcels out the land into, uh, amongst the 12 tribes. And, and Zebulun and Naphtali were two of those tribes that got some of the land. And what makes this so shocking is that their land was, was up north. Uh, it wasn't Judah. It, it didn't have this ancient, beautiful city of Jerusalem. It was nothing special about their land. It was more, mostly rural, a lot of farming, fishing, around the Sea of Galilee, and it was really beautiful land, but because it was far north, that meant that it was closest to their enemies, right? And so history tells us what happened. In 733 BC, the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pilsner invaded the northern kingdom, And, and the way that you topple a culture is you just bring in your people, and you tell them to marry those people, And that's how cultures change. And so they intermarried. They brought in their pagan gods. And this is why Isaiah called this region Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations. In other words, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were seen as pagan. I mean, they were half-breeds at best. And they were despised. They were not real Israel. And yet, it was in this land of outsider nobodies that Jesus began his ministry. You know, Matthew tells us that when John the Baptist was arrested, that when that happened, Jesus went to Galilee. He went to the darkest, the most reviled of places, and it was there in in Galilee that Jesus called his disciples. it, It was there that he began his work, his ministry. It was there that the light came, and we know what else is, is shocking. We see this every year when our kids play this out with the, the little wood thing that our, our deacons have to build and then unbuild every single week um, during Christmas, that Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a hospital. Uh, he was born in a, a place with livestock, a cattle stall, uh, to an unwed teen mom. And, I mean, think about how he must have been treated Growing up in that his you know, very conservative Jewish culture uh, is speculation, but people possibly whispered behind his back his entire life about who his dad really is uh, and about what type of woman his mom must be. And he wasn't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. didn't really even have a home. Uh, we know even from a young age, you know, his, his well, Joseph was a, a blue-collar worker when Mary and Joseph went to the temple to, to uh, present Jesus, they couldn't afford the, the nice offering, the lamb, and so they, they made the offering of what poor people would offer, uh, two pigeons. And so Jesus came into this world in the most unlikely of places, and he, he like, truly called the most unlikely of, of people to be his followers, needy, sinful nobodies. And it's shocking because, you know, most of us have been told our whole life that God uses somebodies, that God uses special people. But if, can, if, God, if God uses sinful nobodies, that means that nobody is beyond his reach. And that we can't be too lost. Our, our need never keeps us away from God. In fact, it's, it's the opposite, right? We, we can't be too bad for Jesus, but we can be too, we'll call it, quote, good, Right? We can be so full of our own self-righteousness that we don't think we need Jesus. We kind of got life figured out. And I want to be careful because in a room this size, it's very possible that some of you wouldn't consider yourselves particularly needy. Um, for the most part, uh, your life has fallen for you in pretty pleasant, pleasant places. Um, Things have gone your way. You've, so far, you've, you've never tasted the dark night of a soul. Um, you have not experienced the soul uh, just wrenching cry of give me Christ or else I die. And if that's you, please know life isn't found uh, in being Facebook famous. Life is not found in financial privileges that you've received. Uh, life is not found in being somebody in the eyes of the world. Life is found by being found in Jesus, okay? So don't numb that, don't forget that. You know, when Navy divers, or really any diver for that matter, goes uh, night diving, um, diving in pitch black um, night, it's easy when you get underwater in kind of this zero-gravity environment. It's pretty easy uh, when you're diving in pitch black of night to get turned around and literally not know up from down. Like, you don't know where you are. Uh, on the plane of the ocean. Um, and in those moments, uh, it, it's very easy uh, for, for divers to get well to have panic attacks, to have a meltdown, and to, everything they want to do is to rip, that, um, rip their oxygen out. Um, but in those moments, divers are trained uh, to, to feel, as they breathe out, bubbles roll over their face, to feel which way the bubbles go. And they're trained to feel that and just to follow the bubbles because the bubbles always go to the surface, always, no matter how lost they are. Okay. Well, like bubbles on a night dive, our gloom of anguish that we just read about, our need of peace and forgiveness, and our need to cosmically be okay with our Creator serves as that guide. It, it, it leads us to our Savior. It leads us to Christmas. But then, in a room this size, there's also likely some of you on the kind of the other end of that spectrum. Life hasn't been pleasant at all to you. Um, you know, possibly you're thinking that there's nothing particularly special about me. I, I don't know anybody who would call me popular or beautiful or wealthy or cool. And the world has made sure that you know that you are a nobody. Well, if that's you this morning, Christmas means that this world may not give you the time of the day. But God knows who you are. And you're precious to him. And in fact, he really, really seems to like nobodies. I mean, it's so shocking. It's not how our world works. With Jesus, the outsiders are our in. And without Jesus, the insiders are, are out. But you know what else is great about the light? It's it's how it came into the world. Isaiah says that the darkness of your soul would be pierced by a baby. Verse 6: For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, in the ancient world, those were titles that you only gave to awesome kings or people that you consider deities, uh, God kings. Meaning, what Isaiah is saying is that this baby isn't just any old baby. This is mighty God. This is, Jesus with, this is God with skin on. So if Jesus is God, <laughs> that means we can't ignore him, can we? I mean, if he actually is God. Um, we can't say, mm, he's just okay. I know John Stott, the scholar, argues that every person who met Jesus in the Bible, every single person who, who ever historically met Jesus had one of three reactions. Either one, they hated him. I mean, they hated him. Because Jesus was trying to really disturbing their own desires. He was getting in their way. But either they hated him, or second, they just thought he was a madman, a lunatic, a lunatic. Or three, they fell on their faces and they worshipped him. Um, They ordered their life around him. So if if Jesus is God, then he is to be worshipped. And I know that we feel worship fatigue because we've worshipped like everything this week. Um, But every Sunday morning is is a call back to reality. (laughs) It's a call back to worship the true God. But then as a baby, he's also human, which means he understands what it's like to be you. That your God, your Messiah, understands your frustrations, your issues, your problems. And then as our wonderful counselor, in infinite wisdom, he knows the way and the truth to lead you through that. In fact, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets this freedom but through me. And he didn't just say that. You know, on the cross, he he flung the way wide open for you. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He even tells us what Jesus' very personality is like. Isaiah says that Jesus, Jesus is an everlasting Father. And of course, this has thrown people for loops. This isn't saying that Jesus is the Father, uh, this doesn't undermine our concept of the Trinity. This Hebrew word Isaiah is using is that Jesus interacts with his people in a father-like way, like a really good father-like way. Sinclair Ferguson argues that Jesus is the father in the parable of the prodigal son, <laughs> that Jesus is talking about himself in that parable, that it's actually Jesus who runs and welcomes us in with open arms, despite the fact that sin has, has wrecked our lives and called us slaves you know, it's Jesus, it's Jesus who puts a ring on your finger and puts a cloak on your back. And it's Jesus who says, you are not a slave anymore. Uh, you are a child. It is Jesus who puts sandals on your feet and throws a party when ruined sinners come home. You know, his care for you is uncanny. He says, he truly says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, if that's you, come and receive rest. Friends, if life has brought you to the edge, a bruised reed he will not break is a promise. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. And sometimes we don't feel like we have anywhere to go. We, we don't have a safe place. But Westminster Isaiah says, Merry Christmas. You are safe in Jesus' he is the one you need for all of life like he's the one that's going to carry you through those hard junior high years um, he, he is the one who will stick to you closer than a brother when you experience heartbreak and loss in life and then even in the end even in death you won't have to cross the jordan alone he will not leave you nor forsake you he will be with you always And do you see why jesus is good I mean, like, like, he's literally the fulfillment of your deepest longings. Which begs the question, of course, right? It's, it's great, okay. How can we have him? How can we have this great life? Well, that's how we'll close. And when it comes to salvation, there's no way that we can pull that, that sword out of the stone. We just can't do it. We can't manufacture it. We aren't strong enough. We don't deserve it. No, this great light is a complete gift um, for unto us a child is born to us a son is given verses 4 and 5 you know that, this beautiful language beautiful of, a, of the Assyrian army and its destruction of its enemies our enemies destruction of the darkness Johnny you just want to do pulpit mic and I'll just turn this off Back then, y'all seen the movies. Back then when the battle was over, they would just push up all the all the debris, the bloody garments, the armor, they'd push it all up in these huge piles, set it on fire, and just you know, flames and smoke would be everywhere. And so what he's saying is, imagine going to a battle and you get to the battlefield only to find that the enemy's already defeated. It's already been done. And it was fought by somebody, not yourself. You didn't have anything to do with the fighting. Somebody else fought and won so that you could have the victory. So uh, last year, Jude was given the opportunity to be an alternate uh, on the soccer all-star team. And uh, Jude Jude said his favorite thing about being on the all-star team was all the free soccer jerseys and free shirts that the players got. And he's thinking like, man, this is like, this is awesome. You know, we're saying like, I think he said to me, like, I'm saving you money, Dad. You don't even have to buy me clothes. I just make All-Stars. I get free stuff. And, like, he thinks that if you make All-Stars, you just get it free, right? And I just had to laugh because to him, it is free. Um, he just receives it. Um, but if you're a parent, you know that just because it's free doesn't mean it didn't have a cost, right? Um, some, you know, someone had to pay for those kind of overpriced jerseys. Uh, namely, the parents had to pay for those things, right? Or in, in the same way, you know, salvation is a gift of God's free grace. It is given to you. But just because it's free to you doesn't mean it didn't cost, right? I mean, Jesus paid dearly, dearly for, for that on the cross. And if we were honest, when we think about that, it doesn't, grace makes us so uncomfortable, I mean, you know, we, we don't like someone having something on us. Well, many of us don't. I mean, you take someone out to eat and the other person pay for you and what is, y'all know how like the little back and forth goes at the table or at the cashier, right? We got to do this again so that I can take you out and we can make it back. Like we, we hate having things, we hate owing people things. Our world doesn't even have a category for grace because most of us, some of us, you know, this... Feel this deep need to bring something to the table. But Isaiah says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, which means He is the bringer, the maker, the giver of peace. We simply receive what has been done. And see, all Christmas is a reminder of, of grace. You know, we open the presents around the tree, and, and it's just a gift. We just receive, we open, we enjoy. You know, it's seeing that Jesus was sent as a gift, and if God did not give us Jesus as that gift, we'd never choose him. Like, we w- wouldn't. We, we would, we'd not have him. We'd still refuse him. I've shared this before. There's this old song that, that one of our members has petitioned right for, for us to sing as a church, um, and it's uh, a Hank Williams Sr. song, And you all know Hank Williams, Sr., if you know him. He he was known for a whole lot of things. Uh, Theologian, not so much one of those things that he was known for. Uh, And yet, he wrote one of the most honest songs uh, of his generation when he wrote, I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. Uh, What what an anthem of the day, just wandering aimless. He said, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came. In other words, like I, I didn't seek him. Jesus came like a stranger in the night. It was shocking. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. So how do you get the light? Well, it's not dependent on anything you do. It is receiving and resting completely in what Jesus accomplished. And thankfully, that's what we see there at the end in verse 7. Isaiah says, I know you think you're going to do this. But the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord will accomplish this. The reason we can walk in the light and the reason we can know that in Christ, everything's going to be okay is because God will sovereignly do it. It is God who will call us on and convict and redeem and transform his own. And so, (laughs) Merry Christmas, (laughs) Westminster if you are resting in Jesus, then you can claim that you who have walked in deep darkness have seen a great light. And it's he He has brought you safe thus far, and he will lead you home. So this morning is an invitation to see the light, come to the light. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for these ancient promises. Um, that read just like our diary this morning. Uh, Lord, that uh, the people who have been in gloom, the gloom of anguish, the people who have been in the deep darkness, on them a light has shown. Uh, Father, this Christmas uh, even as we see lights from trees and lights around town and lights in our home, uh, Lord, remind us um, that it is into a great darkness that the light of Jesus shines and that that light continues to shine even into the darkness of our own hearts. So Lord, would you convict us? And Lord, you would draw us to repentance. Lord, help us to follow Jesus as our our great light. And Lord, now as as we even respond to that gospel message uh, with these gifts and presentations, tithes and offerings, we ask that you would receive them. Uh, Lord, may you use it uh, so that Westminster could be a city on a hill. A light in the darkness, uh, but not just Westminster, Lord, that it would go to the ends of the earth. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.